0: to today's guest, Kate Burke. Um, I had occasion to realise as I was telling her something before we started recording that uh, I was telling her a story that we have uh, touched on several times in several episodes, which is the story of how we met, which is a very happy thing to remember and a very uh, a very lucky chance, I have to say. But I've realised that it, we've probably told it enough times. So I'm going to knock that in the head. I'm not going to, tell the story I'm not going to tell that story anymore and I'm not going to talk about the Sally Gardens anymore because it's starting to sound starting to sound like I'm maybe just got a slight um, obsessive turn about that tune these
1: are the moments that make things happen and change right so it's a thing you love how many times would you have told that when you met your wife for the first time well that's true so I think these are going to be reoccurring things whether we like it or not Planksty another one Uh Earth moving. (laughs) Bingo. flanksty comes up in this discussion, I think, actually. Yeah. So, Actually, on the note of beating stories over and over and over, it's my turn <laughs> to jump in and ask our listeners to go over to Patreon. And speaking of loves of our lives, if you go over to Patreon and you put a few dollars in that Patreon account, it helps us explain to our wives and family why we spend so much time away <laughs> from our wives and family. So, look, as we always say, it's always going to be free regardless, but... You chipping in $2 an episode really makes a huge difference. So if you could do that, that'd be great. At the usual spot, patreon.com forward slash Bellarney Pilgrims.
0: Now, without any more chat, let's let's get on with it. Here is Kate Burke. Enjoy.
1: Oh, actually, one one last thing. And it's a quite important thing. There is a camp happening on the uh, 1st of November to the 5th of November in the Otway Ranges. And that has... um. American Irish fiddle player uh, Liz Carroll, and it also has Kate, who is on the show today. So, if you're interested in that, uh, go to quasi trad. dot com. That's q u a s i t r a d. dot com, and I think that's everything. Yeah, it's All a right. tunes camp. It is a tunes camp. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And there's the, uh, as I was looking at the program, they they have workshops on arranging tunes, as well as workshops on different ways of accompanying and composition and stuff. So it's it seems pretty. Uh, um, pretty intensive, but it looks kind of awesome. So yeah. check I it out.
1: We're going to be down there. So if you're down there, and you, uh, hear us. Come say good day. We're going to be recording hopefully a few interviews while we're there.
0: If you see somebody
1: walking about with their hands over their face, you'll know that that's me. <laughs> <laughs> or you see, see <laughs> someone embarrassing someone, <laughs> that's me. All right, let's actually do it this time. All right. Mm-hmm.
2: about Christ's passion that I was reading. But my eyes were on you, and my sad heart bleeding. If you should go.
0: Kate Burke. Welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: That was amazing.
1: Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Then we've got the Yorkwood opener out of the way. It's just keep on going from here. Let's go.
0: How did it it feel when you were playing it?
3: I really love that song. Um, That song was taught to myself and my friend Ruth Hazelton by Danny Spooner, who's a wonderful singer from um, England who lived in Melbourne for a long time and he said that that was the version that his grandmother used to sing so that was one that we learned about 20 years ago I think and yeah I haven't sung it for a long time actually it was...
1: What's it called?
3: It's called Donald Ogg, Donald so, Ogg. And
0: uh, is there any particular reason when I phoned you up and asked you you know, if you wanted to do this was it like why did that song float to the, float to the surface I wonder?
3: Uh I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, at Easter time, I was at the National Folk Festival and I met a musician named Eamon O'Leary who taught me the guitar tuning that I just played that song in. And um, he's recorded a version of Donalogue. But he also sent me the original translation of um, the Irish and the, the original translation's just off the charts. Like It's one of those demonstrations of how Irish language can capture things that English language can't. It, you know, you can hardly fit the imagery into English that you know that the translation gives. So I was inspired to revisit it.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Do you have that translation? I do. I would love to see that. That would be so interesting to, because um, yeah. it's as somebody who doesn't have uh, even a smidgen of Irish. I'm looking at Darren because Darren said something in Irish to me um, at school All assembly fun. when we went to pick up our kids
1: one day, and I, I was like, huh. Huh? Yeah. the irony is i know so so little <laughs>
3: <laughs> well i think uh, i know about 10 words
0: yeah. <laughs> that, that idea of of uh what's um what's possible in translation and and what's not possible is really kind of fascinating mm. to me. you know like
3: yeah i think um for me coming you know as an australian to irish music you know not having an irish background and not having irish language and trying to be very respectful of my place amongst all that um, it's been an interesting thing to observe um, you know how um, how much we miss out on as English speakers when it comes to engaging with Irish culture
0: so what was your first encounter then with Irish music I mean do you do you have a distinct memory of something was it like a I do I do have oh a you distinct do memory.
3: yeah <laughs> I was at Narrabunda College in Canberra so in Canberra um, you do primary school until you're 12 then you do four years of high school so years 7 to 10 and then you go to a college for year 11 and 12 Um, and our college this is a public school system which is pretty much all of Canberra that's what Canberra is Um, Yeah, Year 11 and 12. The school I went to had a 1,000 students over two years, so it's more like a mini university. And it was also very arty. And when I was in Year 11, I became uh, badly involved in drama. I was just such a terrible actor that um, I couldn't get the words out. But they relegated me to the band for the school production. And I met Ado Barker, who is... Um, a fantastic fiddler and he was in the year above me and he just started playing Irish tunes and we were in a rehearsal you know there's people kind of it was a a production of Frederick of Frederica García Lorca play and there were people kind of trying to play flamenco music and wail, you know, and kind of do all these things as, you know, high school students will attempt to do. And um, there's all this chaos going on. And I remember ADO walking in with his fiddle and playing a reel. And um, I was, it's kind of hard to explain the feeling of hearing that for the first time. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'd heard tunes occasionally in popular music context, but actually having someone standing in front of you and playing a tune, real um I can just remember it exactly what it felt like and I was completely enthralled by it and um yeah he had a band going at school and they used to play in the courtyard and um I thought they were just way too cool and then their guitarist left and they needed another guitarist and uh, I ended up playing guitar in the band and pretty quickly we were doing all the folk festivals so that was it I was off
0: and that was you, Edo, and...
3: Ben Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, there were a few other people in the band. Bree Delian was playing accordion. We had someone playing bass, Josh Milthop on bass, um, and Ado's brother Martin playing cello, so it was a bit of a kind of, you know, movable feast. Yeah. Um, that band lasted for a couple of years, and then we ended up playing in, as a four-piece I called Trouble in the Kitchen, uh, with Joe Ferguson playing bazooki and that band's still going now. So, yeah.
0: so at that point, you're already able to play. So, so what was your early exposure to <laughs> what were the, mechanic, the mechanics, of, of music? Yeah,
3: uh, I had a pretty. Um, it's a bit of a strange story, I think, um, for me, and I still. It's funny. I'm still coming to terms with how it, how it's played out in later life. Um, but when I was in year one, I was at Red Hill Primary School and my class was randomly chosen to, um, to be part of a Kadai music program. And Kadai is, he was the person who invented solfa, do re mi, but in Hungary, it's an entire schooling system. So you learn this music every day at school and you learn by ear and it's not about reading the dots, it's about. Learning by ear. So, um, yeah, I found myself in a class run by, run by Hungarian music teachers doing at least an hour of music a day for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty unusual. Yeah, right. At the time, I was like, oh, this is just
1: what happens. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the instrument, was it one particular instrument, or were you playing lots?
3: Um, I started on piano. Okay. Um,
1: and, and was this...
0: Uh, Clearly, this wasn't just the normal run of things for you. Were you aware of your of your parents sort of steering you towards this? Or no, not you, at all. No, no uh, yeah.
3: like like as I said, I think it was my class and one at another school, randomly chosen, and it was right. it was an experiment. Right. Oh. Um, so my parents agreed to it. Like all the parents of those kids mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, great, you get free music education oh. for through the School of Music for however long." Um, my parents wouldn't call themselves musicians but they had re- records on all the time like they loved 60s folk music and that had a big impact on the music i play oh. um simon and garfunkel and that kind of stuff and also musicals like you know rogers and hammerstein it's just all all the time music in the house so they were really happy um so we did an hour of music a day at school and then um I'd go to the school of music in Canberra after school three afternoons a week for probably two piano lessons and a choir session as well. Mm-hmm. So this is the age of six and seven. And, um, I just remember walking around the school of music in Canberra, you know, this place was like brut- brutus, I think were brutalist architecture. So all concrete and just these weirdly designed places everywhere. And, stairwells that echoed and these strains of classical music just kind of filtering through and I I just actually the I just remember feeling so lonely there. It was really strange. And it was partly the music. It was so ethereal all the time. And up here. So I learned piano for two years and um, I really loved playing piano, absolutely, but they were putting a lot of pressure on me to practice a lot and something really didn't sit well and um this probably sounds a bit dramatic but I remember sitting being in the classroom and performing um a graphic notation piece by Bartok so that's where there's pictures all over the stage and you you make the shapes with your hands and you run your fingers up and down the keyboard and um, it's a bit interpretive and I think I was eight and I looked down and my fingers were bleeding and I was just too scared to stop playing so I just kept playing to the end and I remember going home and telling my parents and they they cracked it pretty hard but also I was ready to
1: give it away so um but the general feeling you 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 loved it in holistically well yeah to that point you kind of that was the at eight I'm just saying that's such a you're yeah. pretty intensely <laughs> like, in <ain't> it yeah. <laughs> it's funny
3: I look back and go wow that was unusual so, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: did that
0: Bartok experience happen when you were eight yeah right so um Uh, What was happening, do you think, when you look at it now, what was happening that you were afraid to stop?
3: Um, I mean, my teacher was formidable, but I wouldn't have said I was scared of her. Um, It was more feeling bewildered by the whole thing, I think. And, I mean, I was playing... They were training me to be a concert pianist, you know, and having the sensibility to know what the music means that age is hard so I remember a lot of it feeling um yeah like like the emotions it was bringing out were confusing for me I think that was probably a big part of it mm-hmm. it didn't feel like safe you know <laughs> it felt like and the graphic notation stuff was weird like it's fascinating but um, you know, I'd look back at it now and I'd think that it,
0: so the graphic notation is actually on the so there's graphic notation on the on the music? Yeah, or, or, on yeah. a stave. Yeah. So you've got your yeah.
3: piano staves like you have, but you'd have like a massive round ball instead of notes and that's where you have to pick that bit with your fist or you know, you'd have these steps going up and that's where you do a glissando with your fingers going up. Um, and I look back on it now, and it should have been really fun, you know. It's mm. like that's where you get to bash the piano. <laughs> it's just what
0: kids do at the age of three. Yeah. You know, yeah, actually, yeah. almost, you
3: know. That. Yeah, totally. But yeah. no, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't sitting well. Um, but I, I finished. I didn't play piano. I, I no, I didn't learn piano again till I was thirteen. Um, but I played all the time at home, and we had. I still continued in the music program through the school, mm-hmm. so I had that intensive training until year 10.
0: Right. And and yeah. so you weren't, you were still playing piano, but not that uh, music conservatoire type of yeah. experience.
3: Well, I'd, I'd kind of take Mozart sonatas home and teach myself. Um, and yeah, as you, as you do.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved Mozart. Like Mozart felt like, it. you know, people say it's like pop music, but it just, it was just so friendly you know you could play through a mozart sonata and you'd know that this bit was going to develop there would be variations in the next part you know the whole sonata format felt familiar because um i mean we were learning that stuff in primary school the music program was quite intense um so we knew what sonata form was and um you know i'd go home and play through mozart and go i love what he did with
4: that variation there
3: (laughs) you know and um and then as I became a teenager, I got into Mendelssohn and Chopin and the kind of more, um, you know, more mature emotional romantic. styles
1: of music. und <laughs> <Sturman> Drang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then yeah. when did the folk make a, an, an appearance?
3: Uh, well, broadly the folk thing, probably when I was 13, I picked up a nylon string guitar and I knew all these Simon and Garfunkel songs, so I taught myself... Um, finger-picking styles and Cat Stevens and uh-huh. yeah that's where all that started
1: so when you met Edel, you were playing guitar yeah and was that an Irish band the first band yeah yeah so that was yeah. straight off the bat from meeting him to then start playing Irish yeah. tunes
3: yeah and um, yeah at that stage in Canberra there was there were two sessions a week that were really good and one was at the Wigan Pen and the other was at the Phoenix And as a 17-year-old, I could go to the Phoenix and, um, you know, maybe get a sneaky pint and play tunes. Yeah, yeah, so the whole social side of it became – it, like, emerged really fast. And I was um, not always a shy person, quite confident at school, but socially a little bit awkward maybe. So the session scene felt very comforting and I felt very intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. And very welcomed. So,
1: it was well established by the time you were. You, those two sessions were well established by the time you started yeah. playing them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Do you want to do you want to play something for us? now that'd be um, great. Um, it doesn't have to be related to what we just. You could do a Mozart piece of yours. <laughs> <yeah, laughs> <I could. laughs> just think, what sonata is it? Sure. Um,
3: nice. I'll have to do a quick retune.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: But is autumn the same With a warm making Wind Will winter still Find Drifts of snow on the hills Will spring come too Early where its rivers still Dry And in the crazy Long summers How will get by For one season could sigh and another could sing One season could take and give back everything One year could be done The darkness gathers round our fire
4: How can
2: I tell how the bush came right up to my door but the world We were stumbling still find me warm at your place
0: what was that called?
3: that song was called Seasons.
0: Wh- when did you write that in uh, two
3: thousand and
0: three right right so uh, how old do you mind me asking how old you were because you, <laughs> you said it was kind of an er- is it like an early song
3: uh That one, it's kind of in the middle. Right. Um, So, yeah, I've just had my 41st birthday in June. Um, So I was, um, when I wrote that song, 2003, I think I was working, I I did a couple of contracts at the National Library around that time. I was based in Melbourne, but um, I was up and back from Canberra a bit. And that was after the Canberra bushfires i wrote that song Uh um yeah it's funny thinking about you know we were talking about early days in canberra and you know meeting ado and playing with the band and all that kind of stuff and around the the time that i met ado and um, started going to folk festivals and playing tunes um that was about the same time that My friends were, I have to say, I didn't learn to drive till I was 20. I was a bit slack. But some of my friends had cars. And Canberra was really not a very exciting town. Um, And the bush around it was just fantastic. So I'd I'd get out and about and, um, you know, we'd break into a cave in the cotter, which was supposed to be boarded up, and we'd go caving kind of crazy. You know, 17-year-olds grab some head torches, off we go. (laughs) in this kind of condemned cave that you're not supposed to go in um and lots of bushwalking and canyoning and the bush around canberra was just so beautiful so Mm. when the bushfires came through to, to canberra in 2003 they burnt through most of that land that i loved and was familiar with um a lot of it was snow gum country that doesn't recover well and it's slowly come back but it's just been slow and yeah so i wrote that song um because that for me was just like you know we were talking about climate change when i was in primary school in a greenhouse Mm. (laughs) so you know at that stage it was it felt to me like it was something important to write a song about
0: Uh so how how did you um come to move to melbourne so sketch from Edo barker plays a reel (laughs) <laughs> and then you move to Melbourne. What
1: happens okay. in between those? So? Okay. Can I ask yeah. you just a quick question? I want to, yeah, you want to sure. ask you before, <laughs> like before that. we leave camera. Before yeah, we leave the camera.
4: Okay.
1: So we're around the same age. Yeah. What was it like being that 14, 15, uh, to kind of an age when you're kind of a bit obsessed about image and what other people might think of you? So you were into Irish music, which is quite a niche thing. Did it feel like a niche thing? What was that like?
3: Uh, it, was, it was river dance time so it was mainstream really yeah and really i think it was a a complete coincidence because the way i came to it was through trad you know through the canberra trad scene like it was um i think jack canney was playing music in canberra or had been um and he passed on tunes to some of the local players there and um so the it was kind of coming from a a real trad land yeah and um yeah suddenly we had a band and everyone was into river dance and we got booked everywhere (laughs) so So, um it was really and look canberra is niche like everything you do there is niche and it is one of the nerdiest places to grow up it was anyway so um i was never going to be cool yeah actually
1: (laughs) um in doing just a bit of research for this evening i was uh, reading an interview uh and it was with one half was with you and the other half was with luke and luke's quote in the article was it was talking about the national festival and how it was a great way to hang out with like-minded dot 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 nerds and i thought that's exact that is that's the music in itself really that's what music does for me i know my heart it's it's the nerd in me that is what brings out the passion it's the obsessive wanting to know and you get to hang out with other people who are similar, <laughs> similar right. way, interesting things as you that's what it is for me anyway yeah. that's not just this music that's all music
3: yeah look it's an interesting one because like um, uh, like you know Ada could speak for himself on this but he threw himself 100% into the tradition at that moment and um, he was nerdy about it he went and studied and he he listened and he listened and he learned um, I wasn't really I was really in it for the social side of things so I did buy a fiddle when I was 17 um, mainly because I'd gone to see Schindler's List and I loved (laughs) the soundtrack and I was really into the sound of the violin Um, and you know I bought it for that reason taught myself you know I had a classical background so I taught myself a couple of things classically and then ended up scratching away in a session but um, I'd say it's only in the last two or three years that I've actually felt like I um, getting literate in playing tunes yeah. as a tune player.
0: When you started playing guitar and you're in these bands, <clears throat> are you are you seeking a particular style of accompaniment or are you just trying to fit around the music? I mean, is that, that, I guess that's something that you grow into over time, right? Oh, Accompanying. Yeah.
3: yeah. So. Or
0: are you just thrashing away, going, okay, it's G. It's G.
3: Keep up, everybody. Here we go. No, um, it was. Um, I mean, I wasn't a very loud person, you know, so me playing at the age of 17, playing behind a trad, (laughs) in a trad band, um, was probably what most teenagers sound like playing guitar, but pretty quickly, a guitar player called Mick McMahon, based in Sydney, said to me, why don't you try playing in dadgad tuning? It's much more open. Um, you can fit it around the tunes better. And it's just kind of like, you know, what everyone was doing really. So, um, so that, that was good. That changed the way I thought about guitar backing and it actually, um, like for the first two years of the first band we had, I was playing in standard tuning and then trouble in the kitchen was dad, Gad tuning. And it was quite a different sound. And that became, um, I really became focused on the rhythm side of things. And we were, like myself and Joe Ferguson would work out chord progressions together. So it was a real band sound. Like that was Lunasa. yeah, that was what was happening at the moment. Lunasa were coming out to Australia. They were one of the major influences on young, young players back then. And so for us, the kind of wall of sound uh, was what we were trying to approximate. So I was, it's power chords really, you know, kind of sounded a little bit 80s in some ways. Big fat chords and concentrating on getting the rhythm sounding really tight. Um, but that's in a band context. It's not in a session context. So, um, I'd play guitar in sessions, but I really f- didn't feel like it added heaps, and that's what most people felt as well. I <laughs> think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd either play fiddle or sometimes bazooki, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more space to that. And you play
0: concertina too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So would you bring that along to a session then again?
3: Um, well i only started playing concertina only <laughs> it's funny you get to this age and you think it's only 15 years ago yeah you know. um yeah that i picked that up a lot later
0: right right
3: um
0: so can we go to Melbourne you're back now, now. Right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay so how do you how do you find yourself uh, and what, what brings you to melbourne um in terms of like what's going on with your the other parts of your life right yeah why, why do you come to
4: Melbourne?
3: Today or <laughs> back when I was 18? No, back when you were Okay. We were... <laughs> the band got booked for the National Celtic Festival in Geelong. So I was 18. And um, on the way down <laughs> to the Celtic Festival, our van broke down on the Hume Highway near Kilmore. And Brie, who was playing accordion in the band, knew a guy called Andy Reid, who plays in the band who knew too much in Melbourne. He's a great musician. He's fantastic. And she just rang him up and said, Andy, look, we're stuck on the Hume Highway and um, is there anything you can do? And he drove in his Kingswood all the way up to Kilmore, picked up this band, drove us back to the house at Basting Street in Northcote, which is a notorious was a notorious house until quite recently. Um, And cooked us a fantastic hot chili pasta that I remember really, really well. Um, And yeah, um, one of his housemates was a guy called Jeremy Dunlop, who's a guitarist as well. And we um, kind of pretty much just fell in love straight away over that weekend. And that was me moving to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> it actually took me a while though. I mean, the, the rest of the band were, funnily enough, already moving down um, for uni. Um, ben got into film school down here. I was at uni in Canberra. I was quite happy doing my science degree up there. I had no intention of moving down here. And, um, yeah, that's how it all happened. So we ended up getting a share house, which became a share house for 20 years as well, separate house. Um And it was just tunes, tunes and tunes and tunes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we were together for a few years um, and then, you know, it's a life goes in different directions and whatever. Um, But, yeah, by that stage, I was really entrenched in the Melbourne tune scene and that was my social hub. And that's where I was.
1: So that house was probably, was like the epicenter for the Melbourne scene for a while. Yeah. Or maybe. Yeah,
3: longer. so when I... Okay, so the house um, that I first landed at was Basting Street. Um, and that was kind of half trad players and half jazz players.
1: So who were you there with who was in that house?
3: Uh, well, that was where Jeremy lived. Yep. Um, and Sally Taylor lived there as well. She's a fiddle player in Melbourne. Uh, I think Ben Gillespie, who's a great trumpet player with the hoodangers mm-hmm. was living there and um Andy Reed and I remember you know Chris Tano's just like an amazing jazz clarinet player was dropping in all the time and Eugene Ball and like the hoodangers were just like hanging out playing tunes and um and then we'd have sessions in the kitchen uh but yeah Gem and I um I just really hung out there really I didn't live there but everyone did <laughs> yeah
4: everyone <laughs> lived there yeah. <laughs> under the kitchen table yeah
3: so yeah Gem and I moved out and got our own house um just up, the, up around the corner in Reed Street. And yeah, that ended up being like a 20 year Tunes house.
0: And were you still studying yeah. at this time? Were you kind of.
3: Yeah, I transferred down to Melbourne Uni. Yeah. And... and you
0: were you studying geology, is that? There...
3: Yeah. So I started off wanting to be a park ranger and I studied, um, started a natural resources management degree in Canberra to do that. When I transferred down to Melbourne, the one I got that I was offered was a geology degree. So I just thought, okay, sure.
0: (laughs) And and, and how was it? Did it uh, did it did it get to your soul in any way? The geology.
3: It did. Um, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And you know, we'd get out field trips out to. You know, we spent two weeks in Broken Hill, out in the desert mapping. It was just fantastic. I loved it. Yeah.
0: And um, that having you know, it, it it always strikes me that having the time to to do something in like really intense detail is kind of brilliant. You know what I mean? I just um, yeah. No, okay. it's true. I mean, uh, I, mean just, I
3: always um, I always wanted to have something other than music happening. Yeah. Um, is I, that
0: is that important to have something that's kind of yeah. Aerates your life in a different way.
3: Absolutely. All right. I I I really. I don't know. Um, I don't know whether it's kind of goes back to my early experiences with music and feeling a bit confused and overwhelmed and all that. But um, I've always felt, uh, yeah, I don't know, more complete and more sane if I have something else happening as well. Right. Um, and something that really uses my brain a lot. Yeah, needs to be pretty, <laughs> pretty brains on. Otherwise, I just start to go a bit stir crazy.
0: Right right
3: but I ended up taking my kids down to the geology building yesterday in at Melbourne uni and we walked in and we looked at all the, the rocks and then um, yeah, this very friendly young academic came along and said oh you know what are you up to?" I said oh, I used to go here and I'm showing the kids and he just led us into the, the lab and said, "Look just help yourselves to just to have rummage around right. so pulling I was pulling out drawers and we were talking about rocks and minerals and it was a bit of a Spin been out for me, being back in that room after that long. Did um, the
1: kids understand the magnitude of where they, where they were visiting in your life, going back that way? Because
4: what age are yeah, they, six maybe. and eight,
1: are they? Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, that's cool to be it, back I, in mum's old horn and then seeing the things that you are passionate about.
3: Yeah, and I've been driving them crazy, talking about rocks for years, so now it's just <laughs> like a bit of context,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah. Finally, now I understand. I've seen them. Now I get it, mum. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, can we it's can about we time yeah something. can we do another quick turn sure
3: sorry this is so funny i'm just like oh the tangents
0: well you know you say there's a tangent but <laughs> i mean this this will sound very uh, tangential but but just thinking about that and thinking about um climate and spans of time and spans of your life and these periods of your life that are this big and periods that are this big and um uh, that kind of geological stuff all is in there too that's, that's yeah
4: it's oh, there <laughs>
2: <laughs> i was
3: I,
4: <laughs> if it wasn't for t- tangents we would literally uh, have nothing <laughs>
3: i d- didn't expect to be talking about romance um i felt, felt, felt quite taken aback <laughs> <at that moment. laughs> yeah mm. all
1: right tune o'clock
3: okay yes
0: um so we're going to be joined by kieran o'grady on the concertina and uh I'll give us a chance to hear some accompaniment <laughs> from Kit Burke. So,
1: um, so Basting Street and the Sydney Gent.
0: Too obvious to ask you about tunings now. I've been holding off for ages. So, like, um, when we spoke on the phone yesterday. You said, Uh, oh, I'm experiment- experimenting in this tuning. It's like, um, you tune the A string down to a, like a Y or something. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, that is a good it question. It was just, Why? The, you know, <laughs> um, what are you getting out of the different tunings that you use? I mean, do you have something that you gravitate towards that's that's away from DAGAD? Because I can see the appeal of DAGAD, but. It's been interesting to me just kind of coming back into, or trying to come back into Irish music and just realising, like, everybody plays Gad all the time and um, that's great, but also enough already. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know I mean, mean
3: I, I feel a bit like that with my own playing in Dad Um It's, you know, it's, it's quite a... It's a lovely tuning for what it is. You know, it gives you the ability to separate the guitar into... Probably three distinct components. Um,
0: what are, what are those? What do, what do you mean by that?
3: Uh, well, you you create a bass line, So your bass string's going to be, or your bass string, and also you can double that same note on the um, fourth string as well, because you've got so many Ds everywhere. You can mm. um, you can create that stro- strong root note flavor, and then you can add the the chord. Um, structure on top of that so whether it's major or minor or mm-hmm. suspended or whatever um and then you've got your potentially you're ringing out dna strings at the top if you want to keep the drone as
2: well yeah um so it gives it yeah. a sort of
0: almost like a pipey like a bag pipey quality you know the, the, yeah. the sort of e-drawn that you get sometimes with Look, a I i think that bagpipe.
3: was the idea but i don't think it plays oh. out like that yeah you know i think the idea was that, you know, there's D's and A's everywhere in Irish music. So Dadgad's great because it's got D's and A's everywhere. So it's uh-huh. not stepping on toes. But right. um, I don't know if it's the same for other people, but I feel like my ears are just a bit over it in some ways. Um, <laughs> is I mean, it like IPA? My, is my it like
0: craft IPA? Too. You know, it's kind of <laughs> the first time you just, oh, this is interesting. And then like after the 500s, different, very hoppy IPA, you're like. <laughs> yeah. yeah just have it nice. I think it depends
1: on the player. So. Of course,
0: of course. Then. And that was, the, God, you haven't just played in Dadgad. Were you in Dadgad? Yeah, Dagad? I was da- Oh, Jesus.
3: It's <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm paying out of my selfie. You know? oh, You've
1: just lost man. all of our Dadgad <laughs> listeners and our craft beer listeners, Dom. And our guests. This interview's pack over. up.
3: It's true, but I was actually, I wasn't playing in the open tuning. So I was playing in Dadgad, but I was playing up on the fifth fret. So it wasn't the kind of signature sound, really.
0: So I, I actually feel genuinely embarrassed.
3: Awesome. Our work here is done. <laughs> this is... No, 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 it's good. Um, I mean, I did talk, um, like before this interview, I was telling you about the new tuning I've been playing. And actually that was the one I played earlier. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I I, ch- I I did that. I've I decided to switch to that because I need to retrain my brain I think I think we tend to get stuck in patterns and I know I get lazy you know if I pick up a guitar in dadgad and I'm backing a tune I've been doing the same things for 20 years now really and you know slight changes along the way but not not hugely different and I feel like um you know there are other ways to do things so the new tuning i've been trying to play is you know the the middle four strings are bouzouki tuned
4: mm-hmm.
3: um like a c tuned bouzouki and then you have a low c and then you have a a D kind of hovering over the top as an optional extra and um yeah it's it's quite a um i mean i'm familiar with the bouzouki shapes but i'm not um comfortable so it's it's a nice way to
0: that's interesting. So, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a benefit to Perfect. sort of putting yourself in that um, unfamiliar space, I guess.
3: I, I think so. Right. I think um, often if we feel like we're really, you know, if you feel like you reach a dead end with something, um, there might be a good reason for that. It's like there's no, it's that's when you, that's when you need to just kind of step sideways a bit and go, okay, well, you know, with Irish music, for example, I do really enjoy backing players, but I, um, haven't enjoyed just playing in Dadgad the way, like my standard way for a long time. I felt like I needed something different. So, um, I'm also a little bit of a, um, chronic multitasker and, um, I I feel like instrumentally, um, You know, I I see people around me spend years of their life dedicated to one instrument and really mastering it. And um, guitar is definitely the one that I've gotten the furthest with. But I've come to recognise the fact that I just feel like I just need to keep exploring and I'm never going to be the greatest player. You know, I'm never going to be the most accomplished um, performer. But the act of exploring the music is what's going to keep me going, I think.
0: Is that a is that a difficult realization? Because yeah. I mean, anybody listening to you would think you're incredibly accomplished, right? So,
3: well, thank you, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe um, I don't. I don't find it a depressing thought. Actually, I find it pretty exciting. The idea that there's always something more to try.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, one of the the really interesting experiences in doing these recordings has been speaking to people who are so um steeped steeped being the word steeped in music all the time you know it's it's really kind of fascinating to sort of think about um like where do you go when you're playing you know what Mm -hmm. um and are you always able to access um the special place that that plan can take you to you know what I mean mm.
3: yeah um I've I've only recently enjoyed sitting down and playing music by myself um and that's partly because I'm trying to explore some very specific concepts around music and I need to sit and work them out at the moment um and uh in terms of reaching that special place, you know, I feel like I've I've kind of sat a little bit on the edge of the trad scene my whole life. Um, very much socially involved in the thick of it. But very rarely accessing that special place that players talk about and get to. But when I have, and when like, you know, it's been um, in certain special circumstances where, you know, you might be at a house session at two in the morning and the music just reaches this point of something else, you know, and everyone leaves feeling a bit spooked. Like, um, for me, that's where the gold is, you know? And I like, in terms of trad music, I think that's where the gold is for everybody that I've talked to, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that it's reaching that strange plane of where the music's displaying itself really. And something else is going on there. Um, yeah, and that's that's what I feel is special to me about trade music. It's the collaboration, but it's not just the collaboration, it's the centuries of, of playing that have come beforehand and all the people that have been involved. And the fact that when you play, you're playing music that is not yours, but that you can... Um, oh, I don't know what the word is. What would you say? <laughs> yeah. It's like you're the instrument for it for that particular moment. And, you know, I've heard people say that the best way to approach the trade music is to try and do justice to the tune so you're not it's not you it's not about you (laughs) and um it's about the tune and it's about the people around you you know and i think for like i've you know I've, i've played so many different styles of music and you know, having, having started out with that particular style of music that made me feel very alone and very confused, um, I think that is the one thing that I will always feel grateful for around, you know, the life that I have fallen into with Trad Music is that, um, you know, you can you can share those things with the people around you. You can share this exquisite, and, you know, moment in time in that way. And it is nerdy and it is a little bit exclusive sometimes, but that's okay. You know, it's like you you need to be able to create um, uh, the right environment for it to happen.
1: That's such a lovely way to. You've come back to that first story when you're eight years old. It's lovely. I think we're running short on time, so can I ask for one more tune? And Karen, Karen, do you fancy that? Sure. Yeah. That would be beautiful.
4: Yeah,
1: Kate. Thank you so much for your time today, Karen. Thank you as well for stepping in. (laughs) That's uh, that's an unexpected uh, bonus. Just one last thing before before you
0: tune. And I just wanted to so you're playing with Liz Carroll at the beginning of November. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, Um, where's that happening? So we can.
3: Okay, it's at the Abbotsford Convent. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a concert being put on by the White World Music Society. I think they're called.
0: Um, um and then uh, is it just that one gig you're playing with liz are you doing there's a few others as um, well I,
3: I know we're doing at least one other one out in western victoria
0: great so uh, we'll we'll link to those yeah uh, on the website so brilliant are you excited about that uh
3: oh yeah absolutely <laughs> do you get we, nervous
0: with, with when you're accompanying somebody
3: oh look i do in the lead up uh but invariably they're just always great people i mean that's the great thing about trade music is You know, if you're going to be playing music with people a lot, you're going to be, you know, a people person. I haven't met, I haven't played with many people who aren't great company, so...
0: was meant. it was meant. i'm not sure what that means i guess i know what it means yeah it was great and the luck of having kieran turn up and just sit down and do a couple of tunes was it was fantastic so really really enjoyed that thanks very much kieran and thanks very much kate yeah thank you so much um once again check out quasi trad.com is that right Mm -hmm. for details of the tunes camp that kate and liz carroll are uh headlining which we mentioned um during the interview there the housekeeping
1: um, section of the uh, show notes this week will be quite extensive. Yeah. So everything you need and a lot more will be in there. All right. Good yeah. luck.
0: Thanks again, Kate Burke.
4: Hi, my name is Kate Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.